Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. You can find links to all of Phil's resources at philsbaker.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today and take a moment to share this podcast with your friends. Now, here's Phil. Hey, y'all. Welcome to episode 126 of Reclaiming the Faith. Today, I interview Jim Duke from the Jim Duke Perspective about Freemasonry. Here, we discuss the origins of Freemasonry, its possible connection to the Eleusinian mystery cult, how the Freemasons have infiltrated the church, and what we can do about it. Check out Jim's website, jimdukeperspective.com, and make sure to subscribe to his podcast, The Jim Duke Perspective, by finding it on your favorite pod catcher. All right, if you're blessed by this episode, please consider leaving a positive rating and review on my Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Also, I'm blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency, and you can find all of our content on our YouTube channel, Omega Frequency Live. All right, without any further ado, let's get into my interview with Jim Duke. Jim Duke, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, brother. Oh, it's a pleasure. Being on this side is a little bit different, but uh, I'm always... uh grateful for having uh invites to other podcasts yeah for sure well um can you tell the listeners uh, a little bit about how you came to follow jesus and and also like why you started your podcast the jim duke perspective both uh lengthy explanations but i'll try to keep it brief yeah uh, i i had been involved and dabbled in the occult early on and uh through my high school years and uh later on after just after as a young adult dabbling in these things but always saying, oh, I have a I have a, a connection or a link to God. I don't want to ever want to let that go. Yeah. But my God was more Gnostic and agnostic, not truthful, mm-hmm. uh, according to the Bible. So I understood the dark side of things. I mean, I, you know, I was involved enough to see things, to do things and uh, to understand that there is a power there and, and a capture of it. And um, I had been interested in things of the Bible, but only from that side of it, always usually attacking and criticizing Christians because of their ignorance, Mm. so to speak, in my, in my mind. So one day when I was uh, looking into a a cult type of group uh, called the Worldwide Church of God, I liked how they criticized typical Christianity and posed them for acknowledging some paganism in their lives. And they tried to separate from that. Now I didn't honor them. I just liked how they criticized Christians. Yeah. And it, but it was enough for me to see some things that, uh, later had a, had an intricate role in, in my Christian life. And at, after that, they actually repented of some of the stuff they were mm-hmm. into and started reforming themselves. So that was a good testimony there for them, but I yeah. don't lift, lift up them at all. Uh, but because I was critical of Christians, I started criticizing uh, my sister who I knew had recently become born again. And uh, it was Easter time and I was going to really get her mm-hmm. because celebrating a pagan celebration like Easter in the way that non-Christians or the world and pagans celebrate. Mm. That's my hang up with it. 
uh, is a good starting point that I could have used to criticize the faith. Yeah. So I started questioning her and she says, well, I don't care about all that stuff. I care about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm. And I said, well, that's fine. But, and she said, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And I wasn't expecting that question. Hmm. And in my pagan life, I knew that everything in paganism was related to birth and fertility and that there was an essence of acknowledging a resurrection in Jesus Christ and that it was suppressed by Roman guards. And I kind of knew a little history of that. And I said, well, yeah, I'd have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And she said, so you believe a man was raised from the dead? I went, wait a minute, wait a minute. She says, if he did, if he was raised from the dead, he'd have to be God as he said he would be right. As he said, he would raise himself. And I, I said, well, this is kind of trickery, isn't it? I'm being tricked <laughs> into this. And then, I, and then she says, is, is he God? Hmm. And I said, well, right now, if I acknowledged a man got rose from the dead, that he fulfilled that he would do. Yeah. And I say, he's not God. Then I'm believing man can basically counter nature and things like that. So I have to say he would be God in that case. And, mm. and, and, and she says, so you acknowledge he's God. Mm. I'm like, Oh, now I'm getting really trapped. Mm. And, and then she said, um, do you, do you have to believe in him? And I said, well, if I say I don't believe in him, then I'd be a fool now that I would recognized this testimony that I just gave. And she says, is he your Lord? Would he be your Lord? Mm. And I said, oh, well now I'm really trapped. Cause now I have to either say, I'm going to let God be my Lord or I got to deny God mm. and having that little inkling of a link that I mentioned previously, I would be not denying having that link, mm. but she almost proved to me that he is what he said he is. Yeah. And I said, well, I ha I would have to believe this. And, uh, she says, you just acknowledge that Jesus is God and that he is Lord mm. and he is your Lord. And I said, oh my gosh, I did. She goes, with that testimony, you, you acknowledge you're being saved. And I said, well, but I'm still a sinner. I'm still doing this. I'm, I'm dabbling in the occult. She goes, yeah, how much more do you need him? Don't you? Mm. I said, oh my gosh, I do need him. And he saved me just like that. She says, yes. And I recognized that I believed in him mm. just like that. Yeah. And I was like, what just happened? And, <laughs> and, and. I went into, into take a shower. Um, and, um, and it felt like the water was cleansing me. Mm. I mean, baptizing me, yeah. totally cleansing me of my sin. And I yelled out, I'm there. I made it. Mm. And my wife came in what's the matter? I said, I have eternal life. Mm. And she says, who do I call <laughs> like for help? And she thought I went insane. Yeah. And from that moment, I realized I was saved. Mm and never turned back. And it, it was a real, uh, enlightening moment for me. Yeah. So that was the testimony in a brief, yeah. there's even more to it. Uh, but then the podcast, um, I didn't know anything about podcasting. I didn't know what a podcast was. And I used to tell to, I, I used to use the concept of Illuminati and new world order. And I still do as a basis because the world, some pe people are interested in that and it's an easy opening to tell them about the gospel. So that's the, just the way I use other yeah. people use other ways. And, uh, I was telling somebody about, and he was an atheist, so a coworker I was telling him about the new world order 
and about religion and how it fits in the new world order and how it's opposed to Christianity. And he was an atheist, mind you. And he says, you got a really compelling story that would make great podcasting. Mm. I said, well, what's a podcast? And he explained it to me and said, I'll even help you start it. <laughs> so he gave me some hosting, uh, suggestions and, and told me how to connect things and said, you know, here, here, and I'll even come on as a, as a contributor mm. to help you bounce off ideas. And it just so happened he got busy and couldn't make it on the show, left me alone. But it was started by, you know, a, a pressing of a, of an atheist, mm. which is really, really an interesting start. So yeah, that's pretty much how I got started with that. Man, praise God. That's, that's great. And you know, the courage and love of your sister to really press in, in that moment. That she said, I, I asked her later how she felt about that. I said, you pretty much cornered me. She goes, you didn't see the other side. I said, what do you mean? She says on the, on the other side of the phone, she says, I was shivering yeah. and really frightful because yeah. you were the black sheep of the family. And I know you were an occultist and I didn't know what to expect, but I felt the opening. Yeah. Praise God. That's awesome. Um, so you've got an article on your website, which I'll post a link to in the show notes called why I am against Freemasonry. That's kind of what we're talking about today. So just kind of start us off. What is Freemasonry on the surface and what is it in actuality? Maybe I should bring up the article since you, uh, the, uh, article since you brought it up in case I have to refer back to notes. Cause I, I don't remember what, a lot of times I don't remember what I write. Uh, and I probably forget more than I know. So if I forget something that's in there, just let me no, know. No, but, no. but, um, briefly Freemasonry sells itself. And I have to say it sells itself mm. as a gentleman's club. Yeah. And that's only, it's an exclusive gentleman's club. So it's only in, in included by invitation only. Mm. You have to know somebody to get in and you have to be vetted by their organization. So you can see how it could be prestigious to people who are on the outside who really look to it, who don't know anything about it as a privilege mm. and an opening for better things. The exclusivism uh, gives it a perception of speciality and privilege, and it's encouraged by some who are in placement of uh, politics and business and other sector associations to, to be involved because of the benefits and also for the good works that it claims to be. And they're convinced that it's a good business move. Yeah. That's a lot of the attraction because you can get better deals mm. because once you join something like that, you're not really joining an organization. You're joining a fertility or a fraternity yeah. and a, a brotherhood. Yeah. And they treat it as such. You no longer can go against another fellow Mason. You are, sworn to secrecy to not tell what goes on inside the lodges they're called. And we can get into that later. And their slogan is to make good men better. Hmm. So it's a morality that they boast and the involvement is humanitarian causes, charity, a uh, facade of good works. And like one Mason told me, uh, it's nothing more than beefsteak dinners and you know, the good things. Yeah. And they tell you that it's not a religion, but a community because you can get in on any religion, supposedly, as long as you believe in a God. So those are the, th those are the benefits that are offered 
to a Freemason to, to get them attracted and they're invited to sit in. They cannot get behind the scenes until they make a pledge to, to want to be initiated. Mm. So that until, until that point to them, it's a community that they're going to join. So what is it in actuality? In actuality, it's a network and I call it, I consider it the gateway drug of secret societies hmm. because it's a starting point for a lot of people into the secrecies of things. And it's used as a recruitment to higher involvement and higher knowledge, not just to understand Freemasonry, but to get involved in the inward workings of sectors and networks. Um, an ex Mason named Charles Finney, who you might be familiar with. Yeah. He wrote, wrote a book. Wrote, yeah. Wrote a book. I have the book in front of me as a matter of fact. Yeah. Uh, I can't show it on the podcast, but, uh, sure. And, and he exposes a lot of things and actually says any Mason that doesn't expose, expose what's going on in the inside isn't really truly what he says he is on the outside. Mm. So he wrote a book about it and he, um, he explains it as involved in almost every single governmental municipality court and inner workings of society. So it, it is, it does go across different sectors and it's a network. So some people get that inside of the network and that's where they benefit. And sometimes that's where they stay. So to them, they don't see any of the other actualities of Freemasonry. They just see the beefsteak dinners, the facade of good works, the humanitarian causes, which is why they don't criticize it in some cases. But I also consider it a double-sided meaning. Uh, it's esoteric and it's exoteric. Hmm. Exoteric means what it is on the surface, and we just explained that. Yeah. esoteric is what it is to insiders. And when I look to see what they believe, I don't go to outside books about masonry, even though I have them and I do refer to them. I look to see what they say. And then I go to their books, which is are available online. Yeah. They never used to be, but you can get them online. However, you gotta, you gotta consider the ones you're, you get online are watered down. They are re-edited and you have to go through the, the cycles of coming across the unedited and published by Masonic libraries or presses in order to see the real work, uh, book, uh, writings about it. And I've come across people that have these books. So I kind of use that as a, as a, uh, a measure to, 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 to test what we do see on online about it. But uh, I'm encouraged often to see, to look for uh, books like Freemason for Dummies. You know, they have anything, Windows for Dummies. But right. They have a Freemasons for Dummies. And somebody said, if you really want to get a glimpse of what we're about, why don't you look at that book? And I said, why would you steer me to an outside book about your craft when I can go inside to your books? Mm. And basically what they've done is deny their own writers. Mm. That's not really about us. Yeah. And there's reasons why they do that. And we'll get into that later, but, um, it's filled with esoteric rituals. 
and the rituals are obscured and concealed as to the meanings, at least to the early lower initiatives, Yeah, which the first three degrees are called the blue lodge. Anybody could be in the blue lodge and then, and then you're a master Mason. Once you complete the blue lodge, you're, you're a Mason to further your education or to open up more of the meaning of philosophies, you have to be initiated into the next degrees, higher degrees are called. And in masonry, it's 32 degrees in the York, right? Cause there's two rights. They formed into the grand large lodge in uh, 1717. Uh, the York light, uh, right has an additional 10 degrees. So both have their own sort of narratives, but along the same lines, they still have their rituals, their codes and their interpretations, and it's cloaked in secrecy. Uh, they, they call it from their own writings, a beautiful system of morality veiled in allegory and in, in illustrated by symbols and it's filled with secrecy, denial and deceit, which is interesting because they're allowed to lie to those unworthy, even though it boasts of being morality of, of moral high standards of not lying. Yeah. It's double speak. They can contradict themselves. It seems good, but we have to ask if it's so good, why in secrecy, why is it secluded? And they'll claim it's for protection, protection against those that have given them a bad reputation. But there's a reason why they've gotten a bad reputation, not from outside, you know, perception, but because of the perception that they've given themselves by being in secret and from what we know about them. But it's layers of understanding, which I called, it's it's called degrees, in which each level reveals another meaning towards the true meaning of their symbology. And it's not intended for understanding except for the adepts. Others are misled even in their own degrees and own crafts. Alternative meetings are given usually to appease them. So like a fourth degree doesn't, uh, knows more than what a third degree knows. Mm. A 10th degree knows more than what a ninth degree. So they're giving an appeasement to what the symbology means that satisfies them, but not in reality of what the higher degrees know it is. And it's a, they say it's a means of bringing morality, but it's bringing morality of their order to the world. So it becomes a different gospel, so to speak. And the hope is that the lower initiatives are given into the works and they're called laborers, but they never read what their works say about themselves. A, a lot of them, a lot of them have the availability of the books on Freemasonry of their own craft, but they don't even read it to further their, their own understanding or enlightenment. Those that do get initiated. That's kind of the recruitment, but it's a recruitment even into further things. Most people don't start out as a Rosicrucian. Mm. They don't start out as a skull and bones. Yeah. They start out as a Freemason, yeah. which initiates them to the likings of a, of a secret society in which they can f- pick the fruit of those more adaptable to them who are able to, to help their cause through the networks. And people ask me all the time, if this is such secrecy and that it's so uh, understandable to, to run world affairs. Why isn't it so known? Why isn't it known? It's easy for people to tell about, but it's not 
because they're sworn to secrecy and those that come out are chastened as, as, as rebels and liars. So they have their own, uh, what's it called? Uh, spin spinners. If not, spin, if not being murdered, if not being murdered, which they deny. Yeah. But the testimony is that William Morgan, an ex free yeah. Mason who put out a book was murdered. Right. Not far from me. Well, a few hours from me. Mm. And, uh, so it, it has happened, but they clean up their own murder as well. And if a, a Mason is tried and does certain codes that the judge who is a Freemason recognizes, the judge can coerce the courts in his favor and they have their, their obligation to do so. Now that's to like, save a fellow Mason. Isn't that like the, is there any help for the widow's son or something yes. like that? Which is like what it's, Joseph Smith cried out right before he was Right before he died. Yeah. Yeah. Joseph Smith's an interesting character because he claims to have had secrets given by a a tablets, tables given by an angel who (laughs) gave him the golden tablets, who, when he asked to produce what they said, said, oh, the angel took them back with him. So isn't that convenient? But he took a lot of his, basically he mixed Gnostic Freemasonry with inner, intergalactic, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, uh, space planetary, uh, design there. But he, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he, um, he took a lot of the Freemason secrets yeah. for his own craft and that's what he was chasing for because he did it outside their, their, their approval. Mm. And in that factor, he gave the distress call is what you said. Yeah. That's the, called the distress signal. He gave the distress, distress signal and it was unidentified. And the reason is, is because he wasn't no longer, he was considered a, an outsider, a rebel at that point, hmm. and it no longer applied. That's really interesting, man. Um, so uh, the, the reason why I wanted to do this show is I had been looking into an ancient secret society known as the uh, Eleusinian Mysteries. And so this I haven't is, actually heard of that one. Yeah, like I hadn't heard of it either until a, a few months ago, and I started really digging in. It was evidently one of the most popular, if not the most popular secret society of like the first and second century. And it goes back before that, but um, it's centered around Demeter worship. Um, and uh, I, I, I want to um, read a little bit. So there's going to be a little bit of a setup. I apologize for that um, leading into the question, but just to give the listeners a little bit of a background. So it dates back to the seventh century BC. Um, and, uh, so I'm, I'm quote, I'm going to quote a little bit of a Freemason scholar, a practicing Freemason scholar writing about the connection between, uh, Freemasonry and the Eleusinian mysteries. So he says it dates back to the seventh century before the Christian era. It bears a very striking, striking resemblance in many points to the rituals, both of, of both the operative and speculative Freemasonry. So this uh, Eleusinian Mysteries uh, was a secretive cult. It worshipped in a temple and an 800-seat theater complex on the south side of the Acropolis of Pergamum, which is where we're told in Revelation chapter 2, the Temple of Zeus is, or the Seat of Satan. So that's right there. Uh, Demeter was believed to be the goddess of grain, uh, you were talking about fertility cult kind of stuff. Uh, goddess of grain who provided food. She was um, 
popular among the common people because acquiring enough food obviously is a is a dominant concern for people. But the the mythology of the Eleusinian mysteries surrounded the story of Demeter's young daughter Persephone, who's also known as Cori in Greek and uh, Proserpina by the Romans. This girl being abducted and raped by, I believe it's her uncle, Hades, who's the god of the underworld. So one day, Hades sees her, this young girl, Cori, falls in love with her, and then he abducts her, carries her off in his chariot to live with him in the underworld. And through a series of events, Demeter eventually gets the daughter back uh, with this promise to spend half the year with Hades and half with her. So the adherents of this cult believed that Demeter offered them, too, the possibility of resurrection. So that's a very important theme like you were talking about earlier. Um, then in like the second century, you have an emperor named Hadrian who was known for having a sexual relationship with a young Greek boy named uh, Anton Antinus. And um, this pedophile was initiated into the Eleusinian Mysteries secret society. Soon thereafter, a, a persecution of the local Christians began, due most likely to an outburst of pagan zeal aroused by the emperor's act. Um. So my question in all of that huge setup, or do you see any connections from this description of Demeter worship or the Eleusinian mysteries with Freemasonry? Well, a lot of what Freemasonry has become, uh, they claim that they're astute students of ancient mysteries. And even though they have their own prominent ones that they sort of illustrate, a lot of it is from Egyptian mysticism, and uh, and they use the Hebrew allegory for it. They've often adopted a lot of the cross-references from other ancient religions, and that's what kind of gets put into their rituals. So I'm, I'm not, you know, uh, doubting that they have known this story. And when, um, is this Roman, you said, or yeah. is this like a— It's Greek and Roman. Roman. Yeah, Greek yeah. and Roman, the reason why there's a lot of times when their names that they used, you, you know, from Greek to Roman, they changed according to culture. Yeah. There's a purpose for that. Because in ancient mysticism and in, 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 uh, in God worship, you're not allowed to invoke the God. Mm. And a lot of times you'll see this in Hebrew writings, especially the Kabbalah, mm. the Talmud, and a lot of Jewish mysticism, where they leave the O in God out, mm. or they leave Yahweh, they, they use uh, H-Y-W-Y to represent Yahweh. Or say they can't, Yeah, yeah. Yes, they do that because they cannot invoke the God without an offering yeah. or without the approval. So a lot of times they obscure the names and they change them over culture to, to so that they don't utter it. So these refer to more ancient names but the stories vary and they change a little bit over time. So if you want to look at the origins of this, you probably could go right back to Egypt, to Isis and Osiris, yeah. because the stories are similar. But then Egypt did a, a really peculiar thing as they had their legends and much older than a lot of these mystery religions, because they 
pretty much started. Um, we have authors that have went back to history and found they believe that Egypt mysteries actually went before the flood and in legends and stuff that were resurrected through that over, over the, over the barrier there into the, into the, uh, um, uh, the Diluvian, uh, state. And, um, they, the Egypt's Egyptians would not only have the origins of the roots of their legends, but they would take the, the variations that have adopted from it and incorporate, they ate them back into the legends to, and that, that mainly to obscure, you know, to, to take the legends and kind of claim them for themselves, I think, yeah. uh, but also modernize them. So a lot of these stories are probably rooted in the same, but Freemasons take a lot of their allegory from, from ancient Egypt, Osiris and, um, the, the Os Os Osiris was killed by his brother set and the pieces went all over the place and, Isis, who could be his sister or his wife, it's it's been obscured of of, of which meaning it is. Uh, went to find the pieces and found thirteen of the pieces, without finding the the male organ, mm -hmm. which we know as the uh, phallic yeah. symbol. And that phallic symbol is a symbol of resurrection of uh, of their their religions and a symbol of of resurrecting Osiris. And you'll see that in Freemasonry a lot with the obelisk mm -hmm. and things like that. But that's also incorporates fertility worship. So a lot of these, these cultural beliefs and legends do uh, wrap around each other. It's to do with sex rituals and rebirth of Osiris to the underworld, just like Hades. Osiris was given to be resurrected to the underworld. And a lot of, uh, 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 post pagans will say Christianity is nothing but plagiarism of the old legends. And it's not true because Osiris wasn't born as, wasn't birth as God being birthed in the flesh. Osiris wasn't even really resurrected. That's not what the story has. He was basically raised up to the underworld, never made it back to earth, of course. Yeah. But they'll change it and say, oh, he was resurrected. And just to basically uh, claim right to the Christian allegory as well. Yeah. So I, I think and then and then the Freemasons have another alternative that they have adopted from Hebrew, which is the story of Hiram Abiff and Hiram Abiff. They have a ceremony in the first three degrees, which is the Blue Lodge and uh one of the rituals is the raising up of Osi of Hiram Abiff into resurrection. It's not the Bible's account, but the initiate is actually raised up in the resurrection of Hiram Abiff. And the legend is that he entered the most holy place for secret prayer. Uh, I think this is getting a little bit away from no, it's okay. that, that uh, original question, but he was murdered by three ruffians who demanded the master's word, the sacred name of God. So that kind of relates to why we obscure the names. And they buried him in a grave six feet perpendicular. Solomon raised him up from the depths of the earth by the master's grip upon five points of fellowship. And it's, it's claimed it's foot to foot, knee to knee, breast to breast, hand to back, mouth to ear. So they have the same types of things, resurrection, 
fertility worship, even though that doesn't depict a fertility worship. Uh, Masons do believe in fertility worship, and they do it within the lodges. There is talk about behind the scenes of promiscuity going on, even homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not going to accuse without proof, but I, I, of course, can't show you proof. I don't have pictures, mm-hmm. but I have testimony as a fellow Freemasons who actually didn't realize this stuff was going on while it was going on in front of them. And um, there's a, a, a testimony of a friend of mine who was invited to the youth group of the Freemasons called the De Malay, mm-hmm. which incidentally, uh, evangelist Billy Graham lifted up as a very righteous moral group because mm. he had ties with the Masons. Mm. I hate to bring that up because people yeah. really honor him, but right. I'm going to speak truth. I speak truth, not uh, bias. Right. So um, as he was invited to a Demole fellowship with youth, and we're talking about young children yeah. up to up to youth, uh, uh, early uh, uh, 18, 18, age 18, or uh, late teens, I should say, um, he witnessed them being allowed anything goes. Hmm. Drinking, orgies, sex. And he was like, why why is this allowed? And, hmm. and, and he couldn't understand it because he was brought up Christian. His father introduced him to somebody that... Uh, um, he was invited to go because his father thought it was a good moral group because Billy Graham said it was. Mm. So he went and found this out and was horrified mm. and said, I don't want to go back. I don't want to never, I don't think he even told his parents cause he didn't, he was embarrassed. Yeah. And in, in, in the group while he was there, he said he, he was talking to a 13 year old girl who he felt sorry for cause she was looked like she was frightened and he went over to try to comfort her. And her older sister walked over and says, please don't take her. She's not of age thinking that he was going mm. to take her. Yeah. And it, it was really embarrassing for him. But these are things and they don't you, you can't talk about it. And if you talk to somebody else in a demole, they'll say this never goes on. What are you talking about? Right. Because each of the individual lodges are, t- are, are treated differently and they're not allowed. They don't tell what goes on in each a lodge. But if this is allowed to go on then you have to question what's going on in there. Mm. So, like, you're already articulating many things that are opposed to Christianity that go on in Freemasonry, but what are some other uh, aspects of Freemasonry that's opposed to Christianity? It's, it's, it's very interesting because uh, this, this is a subject of all its own, because, Christian, uh, because Freemasonry boasts in a lot of circles to be Christian. It's it's based upon uh, a lot of the uh, a, a lot of the foundations comes from the Templars, and I believe they're an offshoot of the Templars because it's there's a Templar degree, mm. and even in the York Rite it's based on Templars. So either one it doesn't. But I think the York Rite is more Christian than the Scottish Rite, but both talk about the Christian faith more than any other faith, but you don't have to be a Christian to be in it. And they'll, and they'll deny that it's a religion, but we, we can very easily dispel that from their own works. But, um, they, uh, they have a lot of Christian allegory. And I mentioned the Hebrew allegory in the story of Hiram Abiff that has nothing to do with the Bible. It's not written about 
Hiram Biff in that way. They take their legends from whatever roots they get it from, usually offshoots from the pagan uh, um, uh, 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 secret society origins that you you mentioned, and they just make it, and they and they include the Hebrew words, the Hebrew terms, and it's to attract Christians. And you say, well, why would they want to attract Christians? The reason why you would want to attract Christians in a non-Christian organization is because you want to keep a close eye on those that would normally call you out. And it's very easy for them to include Christians, Christian, I'm talking about clergy, top people. I'm not talking about just low, you know, level Christians. I'm talking about leaders, clergy, because they could get good business deals. Hmm. I know, I know pastors that get buildings donated to them and boasting how the Lord's working mm. and they were don- donated by Freemasons mm. and they go through these rituals, the, the oaths and the rituals, and we can get into some of them that are very, very unchristian, ungodly, but they're not looking at that because in their mind, it's just symbolism for initiations to be involved in this prestigious dealings having the relationships that can afford them more networking for the gospel. Mm. And the clergies do not realize that once they get involved, they're being indoctrinated slowly because they, they take you step by step, as I mentioned, layers and degrees. And before you know it, they turn a, a theology major into a deist. So they take away the essence of the supernatural uh, relationship between the Holy Spirit and the person and just leave them with a Gnostic understanding of Scripture Mm. and then eventually can twist it so the person has a Gnostic overview, worldview, without realizing it. And that's why it's very dangerous, but that's why Christian pastors who are Freemasons will deny that it's anything obscure because they don't see it, but they've been indoctrinated without knowing it a lot of times. And, um, this had, uh, I don't want to go into this rabbit hole of the Illuminati, but the Illuminati infiltrated, and it's a real group. I have proof of that also, uh, that infiltrated the Freemasons in 1777, thinking that the Freemasons would be open to the further enlightenment of the Illuminati, but uh, they, uh, the, the the founder of the Illuminati, Adam Weishaupt, this is the Bavarian Illuminati I'm talking about, right. thought that a group so open and known can't be holding the secrets that are very very internal uh, if they if they were true. So he worked his own inner circles within Freemasonry, and that's also worked into modern Freemasonry as well. And one of their objectives was to bring in Christian clergy to try to nullify Christianity. Hmm. They were opposed to Christianity while cloaking themselves as Christians. And this was purposeful so that you can water down the gospel. And it worked. Hmm. Because if you see the boards of many, this is why I don't lift up international ministries. I don't lift up denominations because I know a little too much. (laughs) A lot of the denominations have over them 
uh, as, as organizations and they are organizations. They're not just organisms, they're organizations. Yeah. And most of the time under the state, they have over them, each, each denomination has over them what's called the governing board and the governing boards within them have members of these secret societies. Yeah. You'll often find a lodge next to, if you got like a mainline denominational church, like from the forties, fifties, something like that, you'll often find a lodge very, very close, if not like next door. Isn't that something? And, yeah. and, and it shows how close they keep to their, their orders. And, um, but that's, that's just the frightful truth is that a lot of Freemasons seek Christian boards. Mm. It's very, very honorable for them to do so. So it's boasted as a Christian organization. And, and I would, uh, I, I have to, uh, uh, suspect that the reason why they adopt to Christianity more so than Buddhism or Islam, which they do the 32nd degree Shriners mm. are a lot to do with the, the Arab or Islam, uh, Freemasons. Mm. Matter of fact, that's, uh, you know, the Shriners where the red fez and the history of the red fez is the slaughter of Christians in Morocco. Mm -hmm. So don't tell me that it's honorable, but, and they don't know this. A lot of them don't know because they don't look into their own history. Right. They just look at the Christianity part of it. And it's, um, it's very easy to miss, but here's, here's one of the things that I strike to Freemasons who claim that they're Christians and they're Freemasons is I asked them how they were initiated. And I asked them if what they were told as Christians when they got into the craft, and I call it the craft because it's synonymous with like witchcraft. Mm -hmm. So, and they call it the craft. Mm -hmm. So I like to use that term and keep it in their own, you know, terminology. Yeah. They are asked, they are told that until now you have been in darkness. What do you seek? And they're told to say, I seek the light. Okay. As a Christian, what does that mean to you? As a Christian who came out of darkness in, in Jesus Christ, come out of darkness into his light, and all things are revealed to you, what does that mean to you that you're told until now, being a member of the Freemasons, you were in darkness even as a Christian? Does that strike you? Yeah, I mean, it would, it would seem to be that uh, the God of the Bible is a liar, Kind of like uh, Albert Pike writes about Adonai being evil and Lucifer being the true light bringer. You know, I have the quote here. Yeah, yeah, I have the quote here, and we and we can certainly go ahead and talk man, about mean... what Al Albert Pike said yeah. because uh, Albert P Pike was a thirty third degree Mason who crafted a lot of modern Freemasonry for the adepts, but the lower initiatives don't really adopt to. So they, they pass him off as legend as being a, a madman, but yet in their own library, in their own headquarters in Washington, DC, they have a shrine to Albert Mackey and Albert Pike who are their madmen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's because they don't recognize them. Um, Albert Pike had a lot of, of, uh, things uh, about, uh, uh, Lucifer. Um, which is the one you just mentioned? Cause I just lost track of my own thought. Well, there is the, uh, the quote about Lucifer being the true light bringer, 
but in the yeah, same and, and Adonai, yeah, yeah, Adonai being basically, uh, it's like the Gnostic demiurge that the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible, was evil, keeping mankind from uh, the true knowledge that you could become a god. Like that whole reframing of uh, the Old Testament, Pike seemed to have toward the, um, or clearly had toward the God of the Bible, Adonai. So he's, which is the term Lord, right? The substitutionary you know, term. Go ahead, man. Yeah, you know, it's strange. And I, and I do have it. I just can't find it. Uh, I have it in my notes here. It's okay. um, uh, Albert Pike has his, his works called Morals and Dogma um, open to uh, anybody in the 14th degree and above. And now it's, you can, anybody can get it, but uh, they, they, they uh, award it to the 14th, 14th degree. And it's a filled with Christian allegory. This is why I say it's kind of Christian. Yeah. It's filled with Christian allegory and recites some of the Bible. Yeah. But as you read through it, you realize that they have uh, lowered the de-deified uh, de Jesus Christ throughout. Mm. And as they question Lucifer as being a false god, eventually they get the person, the initiative to realize really it's not Lucifer that's the false god. It's the Christian interpretation of Lucifer that's the false god. Mm. And he makes quotes like Lucifer the light bearer, strange and mysterious name to give to the spirit of darkness. Lucifer, son of the morning, who bears the light and with all splendors, intolerable, blind, feeble, sensual, or selfish souls, doubt it not. And he's basically saying, what a name to give Lucifer, calling him darkness, when he's called the angel of light. He's called the light bearer. Yeah. So he's putting question in the, uh, in, in the, um, in the, uh, initiate's mind. And, and I have the quotes here that you asked for. This is going to be a little long. Let me That's see okay. if I can get it to you. And this is, uh, this is from now, this is from morals and dogma, but from the edition that's got preparation of, of uh, adaptations in the Supreme Council of the 33rd degree of the Southern jurisdiction of the United States, published by authority uh, of, of, uh, in, in Virginia. So this is page 321. I mean, I'm going to cite the sources. Yeah. That which we must say it to the crowd is, we worship a God, but it is the God that one endures without superstition. So right there, that's deism, taking out the, the Holy Spirit aspects. That's what, that's what that means when they say that. Hmm. To you, excuse me, to you, sovereign grand inspectors, generals, we say this, that you may repeat it to the brethren of the second, the 32nd, 31st and 30th degrees. Masonic religion should be by all of us initiates of the higher degrees maintained by the purity of the Luciferian doctrine. If Lucifer were not God, would Adonai, and he spells it A-D-O-N-A-Y, yeah. whose deeds prove his cruelty, purify, and hatred of man, barbarianism and repulsive for science, would Adonai and his priests uh, culminate him? Yes, Lucifer is God. Unfortunately, Adonai is also God. And then he goes on. And he says the equality of Adonai, but Lucifer, God of light and God of good. So he basically says Adonai is the bad God. Yeah. Lucifer is the good God. In after 
vilifying Lucifer throughout his works. Yeah. Seemingly so. It's double standards, double. It's called double speak. Mm -hmm. Double meaning. It's really interesting. It's like, how would Satan tell the story of Genesis 3? And that's kind of like what what Pike is doing. Like Lucifer saying, uh, Yahweh, Adonai, is the evil one. And I'm really come to save you. I, I'm the one. I'm the one that's came to give you the truth. Insidious man, insidious. Genesis three. Uh, I, I I did a talk once, and somebody because I, I I'm prolific in uh, in conspiracy type topics. Sure. They invited me to a to a talk uh, in my area. I guess they listened to the podcast, and they wanted to know more about the the New World Order Illuminati. But I didn't know I was the guest speaker. I thought I was going to a fellowship. Yeah. I, I, it wasn't clear to me that I was actually speaking there. So I got there and they said, our guest speaker is Jim, uh, Jim Duke. And I said, Oh, isn't that interesting? And they were like looking for my books and my charts. And I didn't have anything except for my Bible. Yeah. So like, what is he going to speak about? So I started diving into the Bible for all the essence of what I speak about, about the new world order and Illuminati. Hmm. And they were like, you mean all that's in the Bible? Mm. And they couldn't believe it. Yeah. But the main source that I take people to is Genesis three. Yeah. Where Satan as the serpent Mm -hmm. approached and tempted mankind through Eve and all the essence of secret societies is right in those verses. Mm. She says, you, you know, we can't touch the fruit. We can't even eat it or we can't, touch we can't eat of the fruit we can't even touch it so she added to the yep. the uh you know the the penalty and he laughed and I, I insert that laughter because sure. i think it was a laughter yeah. he says god told you that you shall not surely die yeah but god knows that you'll you'll basically be enlightened mm-hmm. you'll know good and evil and you can be as gods mm-hmm. well in those few passages what he offered mankind was eternity, immortality. Yeah. He offered mankind Gnosticism, mm-hmm. knowing good and evil, which is the basis of Freemasonry, and to become your own God. And Freemasonry in the higher adepts actually believes that one becomes the high, holy, divine unity with God above. I'm going to read something here out of, uh, this is out of Charles Finney's book, um, practical in, in practical workings of Freemasonry. He talks about you observe the candidate taking the Royal arch degree when asked if he is a Royal arch Mason replies, I am that I am, (laughs) which is presented represented in the Bible as being Jehovah himself. This answer was given by to Moses or by Moses, by God to Moses, when he inquired after the divine name, God answered, I am that I am. So this Royal Arch Mason affirms himself as the I am. And he is told that he could come to a place of divinity to be seated with the great architect of the universe. And these are the inside workings that you would not get from what's called a porch Mason. And we get that term from Albert Pike's writings Mm. where he talks about the porch levels 
of those initiates who are lower levels who are unworthy to know the true meanings of Freemasonry and the true intents of Masonry. So this is where you get people saying, that's not what, what you say, what you claim us to be is not what we are. Mm. Okay. I just spoke about being in darkness and now you got the light and the light isn't the light of Christ. The light is the light of Freemasonry, which later it's described in the 32nd, 31st and 30th degree as the doctrines of Lucifer. I just told you that, Mm. but ask them about their own rituals in their craft when they're initiated as a Christian, they're made to kneel before a throne, not knowing who's behind the throne because they're blindfolded. Mm. That's where the term hoodwinked comes from. Mm. And they're told to recite these, these, these phrases to be initiated. They don't realize what they're reciting because they're, they're overwhelmed. Yeah. Right. But when I take these writings and recite them back to them, of what they recited and is available in a book called illustrations of Freemasonry by William Captain Morgan, who was, Mm -hmm. we talked about who was, uh, who was killed by the Masons, but his book got published nonetheless. Mm -hmm. It talks about each stage of the initiations, each degree and the horrible things that they're said to recite. Uh, there, there'll be gutted. There'll be, uh, uh, their throat will be slashed if they recite any of the secrets out in public. And they're, and they're, and they're reciting this while they're knelt blindfolded before a throne that they don't know because they haven't seen it. Mm. But what the throne is, is the throne is the throne of that lodges recognized by the Freemasons as the worshipful master, a title given to a Mason. And this Mason leader is represented as the spokesperson for God the most high. That's what his title is. The great architect and of the universe. The great art. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're God. And when I say God, I'm using it loosely. Yeah. And they are made to worship bow before this person, given a pledge. Geez, that doesn't sound very Christian to me. Hmm. And a lot of them say, this is just basically, um, representation. And I ask them what it's representation of. They really don't have no answer. Mm. By that time, they're really taking their mind is searing at this point. Mm. And I'm glad because that's the point I want to get them to is start stirring about their conscious, about what they're saying. And they're told if I perform this, not let me be anathema Maranatha, Mm. which is saying accursed at the Lord's coming. Mm. And it's said in some lodges that they drink from a human skull. Now, some people deny this. Now, they're given certain codes for if they get in trouble. So they speak, communicate through body language, and they're they're given feet position in order to speak to people if they're in court. They're given winks of the eye symbols of, of um, ways to communicate. All right. In in Proverbs six, it has a a quote that, that likens to this very gestures. It's uh, Proverbs six, 12 and 13. It says a naughty person, a wicked man walketh with frown mouth. He winks with his eyes. He speaks with his feet. 
He teaches with his fingers and frowns in his heart, devises mischief continually. He soweth discord. If that doesn't describe Freemasonry, I don't know what does. And to give him that scripture, it kind of sets him off. Now, I mentioned that one of the one of the aspects of Freemasonry is it's boasted as not a religion. But yet their adept writers liken it to a religion. Hmm. In Morals and Dogma, page 213, Albert Pike says, every lodge is a lodge of religion. Hmm. Oh, okay, well then it is a religion. Furthermore, why do they call it a temple? That should tell you right there. According to Albert Mackey, in Encyclopedia of Freemasonry, another prolific writer that they do quote, page 213, uh, 219, he says, Masonry is a religious institution indebted to the religious element. So those right there tell me that it is intended to be a religion of its own. Albert Pike says, Freemasonry reconciles reason with faith, power with liberty, science with mystery. What is he saying there? He's bringing duality. He and, and duality is an essence of hermetics, witchcraft, as above, so below, and and the duality of Baphomet and all the things that you know we don't have to get into here. But duality is a is a way of reconciling the differences to form a unity of energy, and this is uh, prominent in in Kabbalah and occultism. Um, as I studied a little bit of occultism, I understand how it works. It's like taking two opposites. It's like taking a magnet and being able to take the opposites and squish them together. What an energy to have to have the the powers together. Uh, but darkness they, and light, good and evil, and light. hate yep. and love, all that stuff together. Sun and moon. Yeah. Yeah. Sun and moon. Uh, and if you go in the Theosophy, you'll see this further described. And believe it or not, Theosophy is also incorporated in Freemasonry because Theosophy was started by Helena Blavatsky, who was a Freemason as a woman, was adopted in a Rosicrucian, adopted in Freemasonry, and took a lot of elements of Freemasonry, incorporated Theosophy with it, and she explains what what duality is and how it how it uh, how it separated and how it comes back together, and we won't get into that, but Freemasons definitely take the same aspect, and this. Um, this, this kind of reasoning with faith is to bring in like great, uh, the, the age of reason and the enlightenment, the age of enlightenment. And that was, uh, prominent by the Illuminati, but also Freemasons. And it was a way to bring deistic thought to the, to the members by erasing the supernatural. They claimed they were erasing the, the, the fictitious, uh, fables of supernaturalism uh, and to bring in reason and age of reason was not to bring in science. It was to erase the influence of Christianity and the power that God has of transformation in a person by supernatural ability and by gifts and things like that uh, being exerted because uh, Freemasons know as the occultists know that their biggest enemy is not Buddhists, is not Islam, is not 
any other religion but Christianity because it's the one main true light that exposes them and hinders their plans. Because let's face it, Jesus gave us the power of representing him on earth. We're ambassadors of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is spiritually over the kingdoms of the earth, even though the God of this world has been given the rights of the bounds of this earth. We're not subjected to him once we're into Christ, but they know that as long as we are reigning in the kingdom of God over them, they have to suppress us somehow. And they use our own craft against our own craft, our own faith against us in their craft. So you were talking about earlier how uh, the the Freemasons did not they they're not trying to destroy Christianity from without, but rather from within through like infiltration. And you talked about the duality. There 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 was a time when I was um, an interim pastor. It was back in 2012, and there was a, a high-ranking person in the church, let's say, um, who began to try to convince me that Jesus could have been a liar. And it just caught me completely off guard uh, that this teacher in the church was trying to convince me of this. And I, I took him to 1 Peter 2, where Peter is quoting Isaiah 3 about the Messiah, or Isaiah 53 about the Messiah committing no sin and having no deceit, no deceit in him. Uh, but the the person just continued to kind of laugh, and um, I just thought that was so strange. And then a few years later, I found out that that person was a Freemason. And then that kind of began to make sense to me. They could see the, the light of the world also having darkness in him, uh, the truth also being a liar. Um other than seeing the square and compass like on, as a sticker on their car or something like that, how could one recognize a Freemason in an organization, uh, be that in a church or, or your workplace, or you know, seeing the sticker or, or a ring or something like that? How could you recognize a Freemason? I get asked this uh, a lot, and um, it's very obscure. It's difficult. Uh, one way is how they view Jesus Christ. How about that one? I mean, once they admit what they admitted to you right there, there, that tells you right there that they got something going on. Um, a lot of times you have to discern because they're not going to advertise. They're not made to advertise. They don't like to advertise, but they use symbols and, and codes to hint to their affiliations. However, a lot of times you can check their, their circles. You know, the Bible says you are what the company you keep mm. and just identify the circles that they're in. Check out the deals that they're acquiring mm. uh, that seem unscrupulous. I know several pastors that have gotten boasted about getting buildings donated to them mm. and having large sums of money donated to them. And there are organizations, there are denominational entities who have gotten started from large donations. I'm going to tell you one claim of one, and this is not, uh, I, I don't know how, how your audience takes criticism of the Christian faith because I, I'm unbiased, so I will tell all, but it's said that even 
the root of Calvary Calvary Chapel uh, movement was based on a large sum of money being donated. That's Chuck Smith, right? Yes, Chuck yeah. Smith. Yeah. And when you are donated money, it seems like it's a charity given to you. But it's unspoken that they want something back. And sometimes it's just a matter of allowing one of their agents, so to speak, or one of their members to be part of their board or, or be within them or, or be, uh, you know, have a say or for them to have further say on mm. some future development that you might have. Like, uh, you know, they give you a land and then they say, Hey, we want our land back. Mm. And, but I'm, I'm not saying that's what happens, but, uh, it's just, it would be ironic for the Rockefellers, for instance, to give people money to build a church, mm -hmm. which they have. Sure. Now, in their eyes, they're benevolent. Mm -hmm. You know, the Rockefellers are benevolent, but that's benevolence is a is a is a cover, mm -hmm. and that doesn't make a person Freemason, but it does make the person susceptible to Freemasonry. But look at the prestigious circles that they run in. Look at the, uh, I know somebody that, um, was amongst pastors and he was invited to a fellowship. Come to find out at the fellowship, all the pastors there had rings on mm. Masonic rings on. Well, they didn't have them on when they were at the pulpit. Yeah. But he found out they were all in league with each other. I know somebody that said that you can identify, uh, a, a Mason in the group when there's a, a beautiful red car in the parking lot. I guess that's, that was noted to be a sign at, at one time, but, but let's, let's not get into the, uh, sure. speculations. Yeah. We know that they have body language. We mm. know that they use secret codes, hand gestures. As I mentioned, we talked about the distress signal and the, and the cry for distress. Is there no help for the widow's son? There's also other signs and these are written about in illustrations of Freemasonry by William Morgan, the peace sign, the okay sign, the devil's horns, the hidden hand in the jacket, and even handshakes can, can give body language symbolism of who they are. When they shake somebody's hand, if you're a Mason, where you place your thumb mm. on the knuckle of the person hints to them who you are. And if the person's not a Mason, it would just be a gesture. If a person is a Mason, they wink at each other. They recognize each other's affiliation. And so be it. Um, one of the main hints are the hints of words they use in their, in their, in their, in their sermons, mm. appeasing to sort of new age. Uh, a, a lot of people will say Freemasonry doesn't have nothing to do with new age. Then why are the new age books of Lucius trust? in the library of the Freemasons. Mm. And anybody that doesn't know Lucius Trust, go to my website and you'll see the writings of Lucius Trust and what they believe. They are actually, they were, they were titled Lucifer Publishing when they first started and changed their name. They are Luciferians. Yeah, Why big, is that in a big, Freemason library? A big tie into the UN, right? Big tie to the UN. They helped the UN get yeah. started. Yeah. They have a place on the board of the UN and direct policies. They obscure their doctrines with political names and policies. Yeah. And, uh, and many of the, of, of the board members of, of the UN, uh, the directors and such are Freemasons 
and theosophists of Lucius Trust. Mm. You know, the founder of Agenda 21 yeah. is a big Lucius Trust member. There was more strong. Um, but the hints, the hints of phrases used, they use allegory phrases. They use passing phrases that could have double meaning and things that mean something to a Christian, but mean something else to a Mason. And sometimes you'll recognize those names as something that's not in the Bible. Like they'll talk about four square or they'll talk about, and you hear those in church circles. They talk about, um, uh, I, I can't think of anything offhand. Um, as above, so below. I've heard that in churches. Okay. It's used in actual, um, the Saddleback movement. Hmm. It's in their message Bible as above, so below. And that's in the place of Luke 11. Is that where the, the, the prayer that the Lord taught the disciples is? Yeah. the short one. Yeah. It says, God, uh, 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 the father as above, so below. Wait a minute. Why is that put in there? Well, it's put to OP's new agers, but it's also meant to attract those who liken it to Gnosticism. Mm. And if you want to know anything about Rick Warren, go to my posts and see my many writings on how he is a CFR council um, member yeah. and has been for many years. He's on the roster. Now that the roster is publicly published, I love that because before I was just a conspiracy theorist. Now <laughs> I'm just a realist. Yeah. Um, we, you mentioned their jewelry. Uh, they'll have, sometimes they'll have a Masonic ring. So look mm -hmm. at their rings. Sometimes their logos. Uh, their logos will s signify. I had a, 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 a pastor here locally who had his, his logo for his church. It, it, his church started with a V. I don't want to, actually, I don't mind naming names because Paul, the apostle named names. And I, I named names victory church here in my area. If I don't know of them, uh, they, um, they have a, a logo. It was a picture of the earth with a circle around it and fire. And I said, oh, earth, fire, and wind. That's mm. the elements of, of, of right. magic. Uh, and, and, I, and I approached him and I said, uh, that's a neat logo you have. I said, uh, who designed that? And he says, oh, somebody, we came up with it. And I said, oh, so you got earth, fire, and water, or earth, uh, air, and, and fire. And he laughed. And I said, what does it mean to you? He goes, oh, of course, it's the earth the, the, that God presides over, the, the wind of the Holy Spirit and the fire. You know, he had the, his own names for it. And I said, oh, that, that sounds very appeasing. Um, but, I, but the way he laughed when I asked him, it was very peculiar, I'll just say it the least. Can I follow up on that with you? I want to I ask you a question about that. Because, like, most likely— uh, this church is going to present some type of gospel, at least in a way that sounds normal-ish to the common Christian. It's going to sound like they're preaching the gospel. So, I don't know. I don't know how to really ask this. Like, can you have a wolf in sheep's clothing in a pastor position that sounds like they're teaching Jesus is the way, truth, and life, but they're actually a wolf, you know, that's that's trying to pull the, the sheep away. I um and how would that work? Because I I think I've seen it, but I'm I'm I don't know. Go ahead. No, that's a great question. I, I actually understand exactly where you're going with it. 
Uh, I do a little bit of study on mind control, psyops and yeah. s- psychology and such. And I'm not a psychologist, but I understand it. <laughs> yeah. And I've talked to writers and researchers of this vein to get some inside information. And I've talked to people under it. Yeah. And the really peculiar thing about it is how the mind can be split. That's what split personality came from, but it's actually not split personality. It's DID disassociated. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's severing the mind to have almost two thoughts when the brain waves are studied under this, under this mind control, it's not one brain that shows two different brain waves. It's actually a distinction between both thoughts mm. wavering. Yeah. Like it's two different people living in the same brain. It's called fragmentation of, of the mind. It's altering. It's called alters. And it creates an alter personality. And the person can be very split and very animate about one personality and then go off into a, a, a trigger and act out in another personality. Now you can break it, and Christians break it all the time. Subtly, this it works on the masses too, believe it or not, but subtly in this Freemasonic movement, their mind is frag being fragmented psychologically so that they understand the craft and the obligations to the rituals and oaths and Gnostic interpretations while living out the so-called witness or Christian witness that they're expected of. So they've very, very, uh, cunningly learned how to craft the two without contradicting. And how they do that is while they're in front of the pulpit, they're in their altered mind of their prominent role as occupation pastor. But they could have the night before slaughtered a lamb or did this uh, promiscuous sexual ritual because the Sunday morning they're playing a different role. I appreciate you saying this because, like, I've had a lot of interactions with a particular guy that has, like, a fascination with Darth Vader, right? Frequently wearing, like, shirts. This is a a high-ranking church leader wearing shirts that says Sith Lord on it. Like who who in as a as a pastor would want to be identified as a Sith Lord from Star Wars, right? His the 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 person's uh friends call themselves stormtroopers. Right. Um Is he the, fascinated with Star Wars or oh, is it just uh, like a He's fascinated I, with Star no, Wars? I mean, but, is this just like his persona where he's fascinated with that movie and he's uh, uh what do they call those the the fans of Star Wars, you know the yeah, and to a Trekkies degree. Trekkies are Trekkies of Star Trek, but what are, yeah. But, but identifies with, with Darth Vader quite a bit. Yeah. Like, oh, really. Oh, so that's even right, dark like, side. Right, like, wears Darth Vader shirts. Um, uh, ha- is a member of the 33 Club at oh, Disney really? World. Yeah. Um, ha- would have no problem lying over and over and over in staff meetings. I mean, just, and I could go a lot deeper than that, but it's, it's really interesting. Um, gosh, there's so much dude, but it's fascinating to me that I've seen this guy preach 
standard, like really se seemingly decent messages, at least explaining the gospel on a Sunday morning, but at the same time, behind the scenes, there's this whole fascination with evil and darkness. And so I was just kind of wondering how that works, but I, I appreciate you explaining that. This is, this is, it's very complicated, but the fact that he's identifying with Darth Vader is his conscious coming out and revealing what he's, his persona is by identifying as a Christian. So like you'll see, you'll see this in Hollywood a lot. You'll see in Hollywood that they claim to be this one thing, but all of a sudden you see them tweak and, and, and do these obscure gestures or weird things. And, or, or, or they'll say, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. And then you'll see like devil horns come out or you'll see, it's almost like, I can't admit this, but I'm hinting this stuff's coming out. It seeths out of them. Mm. So it almost can't be helped. It's almost like saying, I have to hint to you what I really am without identifying with it. And, and, but I mean, he's, he's identifying with it. Obviously he's out, out in public with it, but it's his way of his conscious mind of dealing with that mm. is, is what I'm trying to say. And the fact that he's a, he's in the 33 club at Disney. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's another, that's another aspect. Disney is the biggest mind control, uh, organization. It's a, it's a actual, a giant mind control, um, pr project. Mm. People don't realize that because yeah. Disney was part of, of all that, uh, he was friends with Brahm, uh, uh, what's the, the name uh, of that scientist, German scientist, uh, escapes me now, but he was good friends with the German scientists that came over from Nazi with mind control experiments. So, um, oh, gosh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. escaping me, but yeah, I know who you're talking about. So, um, Werner von Braun. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And, and, and he, and these these guys may have enough essence of them of the gospel that they can recite the gospel verbatim. And, you know, the devil can recite the gospel verbatim. Right. The, the devils know the gospel. They're just going to twist it to their own destruction. Uh, you know, the, the, the scriptures, what was that? First Peter, second Peter talks about knowing the scriptures, but twisting it to their own destruction. They're mm. un, not understanding. He may be reciting the gospel and not even understanding it. Um, but consciously he can, spew the gospel and still not believe it mm. because further examination of him cease out his dark side. And that portrays an imagery to the congregation who are being watered down to it subliminally. Subliminal has a lot to do with it too. And who knows what he's saying to people in closed doors when he's indoctrinating them. I don't, I don't know. But it seems like he might be, believe in the gospel. But I don't know if he himself can while having this duality. But we talked about duality. Mm. Duality may be the way he's dealing with it. Mm. Because you can deny things that you're doing in, in this duality. Because light and darkness are the same. Mm. A lie and truth are the same. Gospel and death are the same. Because in the duality, it's a unity. So, oh, I'm sorry, man. Go ahead. Go that, ahead. That's that's really deep and uh, hard to understand for some people. So I, I don't know if that's going to come across as as a uh, uh, rational as it. No, like it should be. Well, I'm I'm a psych major, 
Okay. And my brother's so a psychiatrist. My dad's a psychologist. It's your audience. It's, it's, yeah. Well, at least it's it's my my family. I like I, I'm vibing with you. Um, yeah, man. So, so I want to try to kind of wrap it up. My phone's actually like close to dying, so <laughs> like I just got a notification that's twenty percent. But um, how would you witness to a Freemason? Uh, and and I know there's there's different levels there are some people that are like the masters that are like you know one through three level that may be completely ignorant in one sense of how Mm -hmm. jacked up this is but then you have other people like like perhaps the guy we're just talking about who may be under mind control himself uh at least to 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 different degrees Who, who knows um how would you witness to let's just let's just do two uh, like a third degree master mason who genuinely believes they're saved, they're they're in the church. They're not they're not actively or knowingly trying to corrupt the faith. They really think they're saved. And then, how would you witness to someone like like the other person we were just talking about? Um. Okay. So I've probably I haven't done much, but I've got probably four people out of masonry. Mm. I've witnessed to more, but I've gotten four people out of masonry. Praise God. And, um, so I, I talk to each of them at their level. So you have to, the first thing is to know where they're at. Mm. So you have to ask questions. Even Jesus asked questions. That's the main thing to know where they're at. The Bible says, be all things to all people. It doesn't mean to join the masonry. You don't have to join a masonry <laughs> to, to witness to a mason. Okay. But to be all things, to understand where he's at, yeah. not just to condemn him. Because our job, you know, a lot of Christians have zeal, too much zeal, and they want to throw everybody off the off the off the cliff. They want to attack them. Yeah. You're going to hell. That's not a way to approach a person to get them saved. Okay. Yeah. Uh, despite how you know it worked for John the Baptist because he had a message to say. Oh, per- you're perishing. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, but there's there's a way to get somebody um, alerted without throwing them off the cliff, because you want to show them you're really concerned for them. Uh, a 30-second degree might be harder. The more they're indoctrinated, you got to remember, it's like a cult. It is a cult. Mm. A cult is hard to get somebody out, and it takes isolation sometimes. And you can't always do that. So I, I'm not suggesting someone go after a 30-second degree Mason. Um, I, I talked to a 30-second degree Mason who said, I am a Southern Baptist minister. I'm in the York right. 10th degree and I'm in the, the, the Scottish right, 32nd degree. And you're saying I worship the devil. And I said, no, I say that you recognize Lucifer. Hmm. Now in his mind, he wasn't dis- in my mind, he's trying to say, you're, you're saying I'm, I believe in Lucifer and I don't believe in the devil in his mind. He was doing double talk. Hmm. You say, I believe in Lucifer. I don't worship the devil. He didn't say he thought Lucifer was the devil. He just said he didn't. He just made a statement. I don't worship the devil. Right. So in his in his mind, he excused himself. Right. Trying to trick me. Right. And I said I responded. I didn't say you believe you worship the devil. I said you lift up Lucifer. Yeah. As the light. Here's what your own doctrines say. Yeah. And he totally dismissed it and 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 walked away from the conversation. Mm. And and he's the one that told me to go see the. Freemason for Dummies book. Yeah. 
And I said, no, I'm quoting your leaders. And he says, our leaders hogwash. They, they don't represent us. I said, so your own writers don't represent the craft of masonry that you have adopted? Either you're blind or you're trying to uh, deny me or deceive me. Let's not do that because if you're a Christian, you won't be in denial and you won't deceive. To that, he walked away from the conversation. Yeah. So that's a lost cause. But somebody coming into the first degrees, uh, I talked to an initiate that was invited to the first degree. And I just basically, I, I would suggest people really getting that illustrations for Freemasonry mm. or even Finney's book. Yeah. On, on Freemasonry. It's called The Character, Claims, and Practical Workings of Freemasonry. And he ex they explain the degrees and what the initiative witnesses in those degrees and required. And that will help you identify what they've gone through and just basically recite back their, their own oath yeah. and say, is, does this sound Christian to you? And make them see it because they might not have seen it while they were in it. They were being brainwashed. They were being mind controlled. And you said overwhelmed too. Overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time being promised. So it's like, it's like, Casting on them threat, mm. but handing them reward. Mm. So their mind is already being fragmented mm. without them knowing it. So you have to get at the root of it and defragment them and make them see what they didn't see. That's the first thing. The second one is, like I said, identify to them that what did they tell you about? Well, see, you got to remember Freemasons not going to admit what that happened in the Ults. They were sworn against it. Yeah. It's a secrecy. So you can't say, what did they ask you? You can't, I speak to them on their language and recite to them what I know. That way I comfort them to know that I'm, they think that I'm one of them. Yeah. And I've had, I had a fourth degree once acknowledging everything I said hmm. and then giving me further information about that, not realizing he was feeding an unworthy person, hmm. a non-Mason. Yeah. And then realized it, this was online. Yeah. And then realized it and told the person whose, whose uh, forum it was, delete this. I said too much. I didn't realize it. Please delete this right away mm. because I made him feel so comfortable that he was thought he was talking to a fellow Mason. Yeah. I, I made him lead, let his guard down. But what you have to do is tell them, you know, their craft, that it is, it is telling them the allegories are not to do with the Bible, but they're doing the, the, the scriptures interpretation, the, the Mason's interpretation of the Bible and getting them to see that they're allegories and that they're being told they're in darkness. How can they be in darkness if they came to Christ? Yeah. And lifting up an organization more than they do their fellowships in Christ or even their faith in Christ. So it, it's, it can be difficult, but, um, it, it's, it's suggested to know a little bit about it without no, without getting into it. I used to study more on it and I don't, I didn't want to get entranced with studying Freemasonry cause I'm not a Freemason. Sure. I want to know more about Christ, not about Freemasonry. Yeah. So I find myself, my studies end up to be more, uh, Freemason so I can understand them, but I'm leaving behind my aspects of faith mm. by, by not honing in. So study the Bible. 
Yeah. And and if you study the Bible, you'll see their contrast right in the Bible mm. as as you read a little bit about what they what they claim. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that's great, man. That's great, man. I, I really appreciate you taking time to do this, Jim, and uh, answering some of the questions that I I didn't prepare in advance, but just kind of came along with the dialogue, man. I appreciate you being flexible like that. Um, you got a ton of resources, uh, not just for your podcast. You got a lot of blogs. You have music. Uh, so what do you have in the works, uh, coming up and, and where can people, uh, find all of your resources? Uh, I'm always busy and it's only because I'm a creative and if I, if I, if I get, uh, uh, idle, uh, in anything, I start to get anxious <laughs> and, and unworthy of, of, you know, I have to do so. I have to study in, in, in the scriptures and I have to uh, express it and share it. So I'm always trying to sh- share everything I learn. And yeah. sometimes it comes off zealous on top of working 50 to 60 hours a week at work. So yeah. I, my free time is basically my studies. My main source is my podcast is, is a, is a platform. It's not my ministry. Cause I don't call my, my platforms, my ministries, my ministries is what the Holy spirit gives me, which mm. is maybe, maybe a gift of wisdom and a gift of teaching mm. despite the platform. So yeah. don't think the ministry is my platform. It's just the outlet I use. Yeah. So, uh, podcasting is the one way through Jim Duke perspective. If you look up that it's, it's perspective, not perspectives, Jim Duke perspective. Uh, and it's on any of the podcast sources, iTunes, Apple podcasts, Spotify, all of them, Amazon. And, um, my website is Jim And that's really where you can touch base with all my other platforms and what I'm doing. And I express myself through it. I'd like to write a book on the new world order. I've had it in the works for, wow, a lot of years so far, and I can never narrow down what I actually want to say, even though I've got it separated into chapters and, and, and basically written, it's not in uh, coherent form because I keep changing what I want to say and how I want to say it, exposing the new world order. So it's easier to do it in podcasts because I can change it up and, and dissect it in pieces rather than trying to put it coherently in one volume. Uh, and my many posts on my website and in Facebook and such, uh, really tell a lot of what I research because I just, I don't, I wear, uh, everything's worn on my sleeve. Mm. I don't hide anything. So what I'm doing, you'll see, uh, and I'm involved in music and it's, it's, it's not necessarily praise and worth, uh, worship as much as it is expression of my faith yeah. and revealing stuff in society through the music and such. Yeah. So well, that's awesome, man. I, some of your songs to me kind of have a three doors down vibe to yeah, it. Well, yeah. I don't listen to the, a lot of this. It's weird. I've never, I, I was out of that secular stage of those kind of groups before, uh, you know, when I was, a, before I was a Christian, or I was a Christian before those came out. Yeah. So it's only in hindsight that I even hear those styles of music. Yeah. Once in a while I listen to what is out there and popular and modern and just basically, uh, uh, uh relate it to my style of music that I've grown up through, but it just happens to be sometimes the way they do it is a modernized way. And I try to adapt that a little bit, not just that group, but I mean the modern music. Yeah. Well, thank you again, brother. This has been great.
Flowers soon it fades